Today's episode is sponsored by Tigo. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tigo and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico-legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hi everyone. On today's episode, we have some colourful language. So if you don't want your kids to hear those words, consider listening through some headphones. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the part two anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And today's episode is I'm Still Standing, where we'll discuss how to come back from a poor exam outcome with special guest interviewees, Dr. Raymond Casey and Dr. Aaron McDonald. As always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. So, yes, Aaron, uh, we, we cover, just covered this with Raymond, like how, you know, what happened after the first attempt and going back to work. Did you have a similar experience? Was it different? So I, I definitely can relate to kind of opening up the em- envelope, taking it out and that, you know, seeing those mm. people, the, you know, the consultants or examiners and then going back down. Uh, we had a, a kind of celebration planned with book to go to the all black test. I couldn't go. I, just, yeah. I, I went back to the hotel room. I cried. I had, you know, and I, I'm not a crying kind of person. Yeah. So I found it really hard. And as you're probably seeing from the way I was thinking pre the exam, because it kind of confirmed my imposter syndrome yeah. at that point. It kind of mm. confirmed that I wasn't good for the job. And again, you know, overall I had many problems positive feedback and it probably was the first time that I had really found anything that was really important to me mm. so it wasn't something that was familiar by family no one was kind of expecting it mm. but I let my partner the family I felt like let the training program down mm. I felt like I was being judged and kind of less confident clinical work and saying that I very much got the same response Ray got in terms of people being supportive mm. but a lot of this was just going on how I was thinking about myself mm. and so I, I do think you've always supportive. I mean some people are a bit awkward and, and don't know what to say but that's yeah. um, understandable so I found, I found it the initial part really 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 challenging mm. um, but it helped me for the in the future by kind of realizing because I'm particularly self-critical sometimes that I've kind of learned skills to kind of cope with that. So without that kind of experience, I wouldn't have been able to kind of do that. But I definitely found it challenging and I wasn't okay with failing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting um, hearing you both talk about how, you know, you feel like you've you failed the people you love and all of that sort of thing. Like I, I'm someone who failed one of my primary exams and I can completely relate to that feeling where you think, I've let these people down. These people had faith in me. And, and it's funny because I, 
I had a similar sort of experience to both of you going back to work and that everyone was wonderful and supportive. And the thing that I think struck me the most was I got up the next morning, the sun was still shining. You know, my loved ones still loved me. And then I got up the next morning and the sun was still shining and my loved ones still loved me. And I went to work and people still valued my professional opinion. And it's, it's little things like that. It's those first few days that I think can really make or break how you feel about yourself. And, um, and I think we all, it's something that's worthwhile to keep in mind going forward as we're dealing with trainees working below us who may not be successful is to just keep those, you know, we still love you. You're still a good anaesthetist. You know, this is obviously a setback, yeah. but it doesn't define you as a person. It's, it's mm. so important. Mm. So was there anything that either sorry, of you, um, oh, sorry, do you want to say something, Raymond? Yeah, no, just bringing with Kate. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of, your recovery from this because it is interesting comparing like you know the inner game almost to the outer game isn't it like what's going on in your head versus Mm. what's happening around you Mm. do you have any things that you think were not good coping strategies or ways to deal with what happened or things that conversely because you're both fanskers yeah um so you clearly made it through and very successful in your careers so yeah what what could you sort of look back and say look i would definitely not try this or this thing did not work for me conversely this is how i got through it or was it just the passage of time which Mm. ultimately you know cures a lot of ills in life Mm. what would you say well that's a good question i think if you i were to break it down i think um Definitely my physical health suffered because I was studying a lot. I put on, I think, at least 20 kgs. Mm. Uh, wasn't sleeping well, and that's just studying and stress eating. Mm. Um, mm. From a mental health point of view, very much, I think I was very focused and didn't realize how bad it was until, and I mean, an SOT had mentioned it to people who were worried about me. I said, oh, no, I'm okay. I'm just boxing on yeah and i got yelled at in a fish and chip shop by a lady who opened the door and i just walked through it oh, <laughs> and oh I was, gosh. Like, was her name karen oh. i don't know <laughs> so, no but like that was like <laughs> making fun of karen oh oh crap i'm mm. actually not okay mm. like this isn't me and so i did go see a gp i did yep. go see a psychologist and counseling and got help and definitely I would suggest to anyone, if you fail, that you probably just want to talk to a loved one or yeah. someone who can say, you're not okay, mm. and then just follow their advice and go see a GP mm. or a psychologist or a counsellor. Because I think you could say there is a bit of grief in that mm. as well as anxiety. Yeah. stuff. And obviously, you know, being an absent father, husband, and in this stressful situation, we we're trying to build a house at the same time. My family relationship really, really suffered. Mm. And probably I would advise people not to build a house while you're studying for exams. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. That's definite don't work. What does work is surrounding yourself with people who help you, you know, finding out why you failed and getting over it. I had a good friend who was a basic physician and he did a lot of, he passed his basic training exam and he did a lot of tutoring. And so he helped me a lot with the medical viva for my last attempt. Awesome. So, so by the time I was walking into that one, I could hear two murmurs of the same hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of like they say that they wanted you to be at like final year medical student level, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think where you wanted to be is good. 
And so, yeah, I think just getting people to help you in whatever facet you can is probably one of the best things. And just reviewing what you've done wrong mm. and trying to make an attempt to change it. Like, mm. don't, don't not take the advice of people. And like, if it, you know, my mm. short answer questions weren't super solid. Mm. I could say that. My handwriting is atrocious, but I know it's not as bad as Aaron's. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I ended up I think I ended up writing my last two exams all in capital letters Mm -hmm. and then just making sure that your thoughts are organized and I'm I'm one of those people I think that this experience made me realize is I rely a lot on nonverbal communication Mm. to get things done and I'm not very good with word finding like it's the doohickey in the chest not the heart Mm, yeah you're just oh. like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that doesn't sit well when I'm required to write words or, yeah. mm. or explain myself. And I find that difficult. The other thing that people told me was I'm generally quite a calm demeanor. And so somebody said, one of my consultants said, I should try some speed next time. Just so that... <laughs> <laughs> just because... Uh, you know, it'd be like a, it'd be like, you know, describe CPR and I'd be like, oh, 30, 32 chest compression, you know, like having no urgency in my mm, voice, yeah. which I think, cause it is, they want you to show interest and stuff. And mm. so it's, I think that's one of the other things is just understand how you actually come across as a person mm, yeah. and to do that, getting video, getting somebody to video you, getting people in like, you don't actually need an expert to tell you how you come across. Like there are I, there was a psychologist I worked with who filmed me and he was like, you don't look professional at all. Mm. You know, how you're presenting yourself, how you're talking and that sort of thing. Mm. So it's, I mean, like if you, you probably need to think about the whole package. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's really good advice. It's the element of putting on a bit of a show, isn't it? Like for mm. the exam and having to... Yeah, if it doesn't come naturally to you, then having to consciously make those changes. Mm. And Aaron, how about you? What um, what strategies would you recommend and not recommend when mm. you're going through this process? Mm. So as I was kind of saying before, I kind of was really kind of struggling initially and well, I didn't tell anyone. And I was quite, I'm quite was quite good at pretending that everything was was fine, mm, and yeah. no one would have probably known on the outside that I was really struggling. Because mm. um, it was a, a little bit of a pattern. I had kind of, to moderate extents, kind of done it at different different times throughout my life, and I kind of fought myself. I didn't want to start studying again. I wanted my life back, and I would sit down and not achieve much. I felt embarrassed with colleagues, so. Yeah, I would, you know, looking back at that now, and if I ever meet anyone who is going through a failure and what we were kind of talking about before is, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean if they look like they're okay, that they, they're okay. That, and, and having the, those kind of positive, a few kind of positive comments can make a big difference to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of managed to turn around and there were a few things that, that really helped. Um, I had a colleague a couple of years ahead of me who had failed and so I was able to talk to him about what he'd been through and it it was similar for him so and also he because he'd been to the exam a few times was really keen to to help me Mm -hmm. Um, as well as I had another colleague who'd done really well in the exam 
So they both were able to give our learnt equally from both of those people. You know, having to, to come and look at what your weaknesses are and then also talking to someone who thinks really clearly in, in the way the examiners often, uh, obviously like, I found mm. that really useful. Mm. And then for me, to mentally turn it around, I, I found having a strong study group and trying to turn the motivation on from just me, myself, woe is me, I can't pass the exam, but yeah. think, look, I've got all these people around me. If we can all get through together, maybe, you know, we won't, no one else in this group will kind of have to go do that. Yeah. Mm. So we built a really strong study group and, you know, luckily in that group, we all managed to make it, make it through. So I found that really helpful to, to, to kind of turn the focus from just myself to thinking about it with other people as well. Mm. Very perfect. So do you both feel that your experiences with the exam and being unsuccessful with initial attempts had any ramifications with your ability to be employed? I think that's a common anxiety, right? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, as you pointed out, oh, I'm not a good clinician. I just, yeah. This is going to follow me around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, what I would say is I've, I mean, I got a really good fellowship in cardiothoracics in Green Lane in Auckland, which is like awesome. the largest cardiothoracic centre and, uh, and I had told them that I was twice. So I wouldn't think, obviously I work in Rockhampton and so does Aaron and it's everybody's thinking, is Rockhampton where the rejects go? No. Um, <laughs> Definitely <laughs> but, not. Um, so, you know, I'm sure somebody's thinking this is this is obviously true. But no, I think um, I've interviewed, I didn't get a job back where I wanted to. And if I were to truly reflect on the reasons why it's, I've been interviewed there, and I think it's not because I've, it's not because I actually failed the exam because mm. and and I would be really surprised if there's any department anywhere that's like if you fail an exam we're not hiring you because oh, how does absolutely. that work to absolutely how does that work to any sort of like open disclosure mm. or yeah honest discussions and and safe and a culture of safety because that would be it just doesn't make sense on yeah. that level the I think the reasons for me related to not being employed where I wanted to initially be employed relate to the fact that having failed twice and then being so exhausted and frazzled and had a relationship that needed, that wasn't in a great state, you know, I spent my entire PF year, which is basically for most hospitals is an extended job interview. Yeah. I didn't do much with it. Mm. I just, was working on keeping my working on rebuilding my relationship with my family yeah rather than anything else and so that was what was important to me mm. at the time and then other things suffered and so rather than being able to impress people i think at the end of it so in a roundabout way yes but do i think people if they find out you failed they're automatically going to take you off an interview list or not hire you no mm-hmm. uh, I think you are way more than the exam. You're, you know, you're part of yourself. You're, it's how you present yourself. It's your interests, and you know your fellowship and what you've man- managed to do. Yeah. And so. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Would, That's very true. Aaron, what about you? 
Um, I, I don't think so. I know a lot of kind of people in, in the department where I've came from had failed exams and, you know, it, you will be surprised when you find out, when you fail an exam, you find out for other people how many people have failed. I mean, I think obviously what Ray is saying is right that, you know, you have to build a CV in, in a department where you, 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 where you want to go and if you're if you've got the right CV and it fits that department, then that'll you know that will kind of get you the job. So yeah. I, I don't think I yeah. don't think the exam affects your employment. Yeah, exactly. Apart from what yeah, there's nowhere on your CV that says you know list how many times you sat your exam. Like there's none of that. So it's yeah. it's just it, it, you know in some ways it's just another hoop to jump through to to get to your fans go really and after it's done and you're through no one really cares so Mm. yeah that's very true so look is there anything else that either of you would like to discuss that we haven't touched on that you think would be valuable for people to know just about the process of going through you know a non-ideal exam outcome and then sort of recovering from that or any advice that you have for people Anything that you'd like to share or for Anscom? Or for no, Anscom. feel free to just. <laughs> don't know if they listen. We're not affiliated with them, but... so you can say, say yeah, we've got feedback I mean, about I, the process. I, got, I, got, I wrote down my five top Viva tips. Yes. One of which I've already covered. Awesome. Okay, first one is if you see a man over fifty, you need to yell at him. He probably <laughs> should be wearing a hearing aid as your examiner. <laughs> um, I was told that by a female examiner, so I feel okay. That is hilarious, <laughs> particularly now with the COVID, with the perspex screens and things. It's even harder, I suspect. Yeah, mm. just yell, yell as yell as you can. Yeah. The other one I found really good, especially if you're going to Melbourne. So the exams are held in the same hall as mm. the primaries. Um, mm. So if you, I've managed to do this twice, but it doesn't always work. And that is the night before, especially if you're the first day. You can actually walk into the conference room mm. or the day before and you can just stand there until you calm down. And so That's you kind of have like this free exposure really mm. to to the to the environment in the room, you know where it is. And I think like I think nobody doesn't suffer from PTSD from that primary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back into that same room, you know, just being able to sit in there and breathe deeply until you relax enough is actually quite helpful. I found it. Mm. Very helpful. Mm. Um, the other thing is, depending on how you're thinking, if you're a visual person, just picture yourself when you read that Bible. Don't write anything for the first 20 seconds and actually picture yourself mm. in your hospital mm. or a hospital you worked in with all your equipment around you and then think about how you're going to deal with it. Mm. Like, I had this Viva where this person collapsed on the toilet when I was in pain round. And obviously, the first thought in my head is, it's coffee time where I'm paying around. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next step? The next step is, how do I get out of this situation? It's, oh, are they not for resuscitation? Mm. And so you kind of, and then you think about actually on that ward, there's going to be a lot of people. It's just not mm. you and you're not using your resources. So it's not like, it's like, yeah, I would get the house surgeon to do this. I'd find the registrar to do that. And I want to know if they're for resuscitation. And as soon as you ask them a question like that, it just pops up that they had, you know, they had a subdural. And then you got your whole answer there because that's in the medical history mm. as you're doing your A, Bs mm. and Cs. But 
But then I was talking to people afterwards and they were just doing the A, B and C and they couldn't get anywhere. Mm. And so if you actually think about how you work in your environment, you might help, you might find. And that leads me to the, la- the fourth piece is if you can't imagine yourself dealing with a situation or you are having trouble with a viva, pick a consultant that you admire and just do what they would do. That's great advice. Mm. You know, because it's it's all about judgment. And if you think your judgment's a bit dodge, well, pick somebody you <laughs> admire and just go for it. Yeah. And do it. And then the last one is once the viva's over, they're in ICU. They're being looked after. They're going to live mm. despite your best efforts. <laughs> and the next day is your help. Yeah. That's really good advice. It is. It's hard to I mean, have personal experience. I had a, a terrible viva with a a very very unpleasant examiner in my in my part two exam and I'd had a practice where I'd had something similar and appreciated how hard it was to shake it off and I did exactly that that exact same thing I just thought okay this patient's in ICU this that's exactly what I did and it's amazing how much it helped my mindset going into the next one so yeah good work that's great advice Mm. how about you Aaron so just a, a kind of a message of support for anyone who's listening who's mm. failed and struggling. Yeah. It feels like it's an isolating experience. Yeah. But you'll be surprised about how many people and consultants that you expect uh, have been through the same thing. Yeah. Everyone's experience is different, but, you know, n- don't do what I did to start with. Reach out and talk to people. Mm. And it really doesn't seem like it, but you will find, and it might take years, but... It's the difficult experience in life that give you the ability to, to learn and skew uh, different skills and help you with things in the future. And definitely changed the way I looked at um, medicine. And mm. uh, Yeah, and if anyone, if anything I've seen has resonated with anyone, feel free to reach out to me via email um, and mm. I'd be more than happy to chat because it can be really, really mm. tricky. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. We, thank we you, certainly, Yeah, thank you. That's really kind. Well, I think that's about it. So I just really want to thank you both for joining us today and discussing this topic because it does actually take courage Mm. to speak openly Mm. and in a public forum about these less than optimal experiences that we have in anaesthesia. Yeah. Um, And so we just really admire that. And we know our listeners will also really appreciate it because as you've pointed out, your experiences, everyone is unique, but at the same time, you know, exam failure is a common experience um, in particular anaesthesia, probably in a lot of other subspecialties as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. That's yeah, so we really true. appreciate your time and your candidness. Yeah. Um, and it's been a really interesting chat. Thank you so much. And I think also like, what you really pointed out there, Aaron, is like, you know, it sounds like cliche, doesn't it? But these are opportunities for growth. And, uh, you know, you come out of it with a whole different skill set. And you can't see that at the time. <laughs> and nor should you because oh, you're allowed to. Yes, believe me, many people will tell you and no one will believe it when you listen to it. Mm. But. Mm. Yeah, and what you do learn during that process is very transferable to many aspects in Mm. life. I think the mechanisms that you set up to cope with any sort of major loss, whether it be something work-related, something personal, they're very transferable. You can take those things and apply them to so many different situations. So Mm. something to remember. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. All right. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Just for anybody who's failed, it gets better. Just... Take it one day at a time. Yeah. You, I'm not saying one day you won't look back and laugh at it, but um, so I still haven't. But yeah. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> you, you don't cry you though, at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I don't cry myself to sleep yet. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> That's good but, to hear. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it is difficult, but just get help and mm, talk. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you both very much. We really appreciate it. Well, it's been an insightful discussion on today's episode of Deep Breaths. As always, you can contact us on deepbreathspod at gmail.com for episode suggestions, feedback, or just to say hi. Provisional fellows and consultants, don't forget to claim your CPD for listening in. We'll see you again in a fortnight. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.